We're here on the Serious Celtic Lockdown um, podcast and we've got the first episode here with former striker Phil Marsh. I'd like to welcome you to the podcast, Marshy. Um, we're just going to talk about Marshy's career and, and, and what it was like to play the Serious Celtic uh, and, and all things about his career and stuff like that. So, Marshy, you started off your career at Man United. There's not many better places to be able to start a footballing career than that. Tell me a bit of what it was like to, to play with some of the plays you did and, and what it was like to be there full time. Yeah, it was obviously, you know, from a young kid, I, I joined when I was 11 um, and went through the academy and the youth team and then, you know, was lucky enough to sort of, um, after having a big setback when I had the car, car crash and a really bad injury, um, still ended up obviously coming back and playing the reserves, win three reserve leagues and then got rewarded with a with a game in the first team. Um so yeah, it was unbelievable really. Um especially at the time I was there. You know, some of the players that was uh, at the club at that time, you know, likes of Rooney, Ronaldo, Scholes, Ferdinand, you know, could name the full team really. All world class international players. So yeah, it was it was fantastic and it sort of didn't really sort of uh, hit home how lucky and how much of a sort of uh, honour it was to be at the club at that time until you actually come away from it. Because um, obviously you're just used to being there day in, day out, and, you know, interacting with all them kind of players and you know, training at the facility like Carrington. It was unbelievable. And then obviously when I left um, at the age of 21 and um, went to Blackpool, obviously it was just a massive eye opener and you know, to see the difference even, you know, from dropping down from uh, Premier League side into a championship club, it was just, you know, like chalk and cheese, the, the difference and not just the, the players, it was just everything that came with it, the, the training ground, the, the um, you know, the facilities, the way that things were dealt with and, yeah, it's just uh, unbelievable 10 years really that I had at um, United, it was, you know, just one of them things. Obviously, you, you, you want to try and you know get into that first team and you know make a career out of it. But the chances are you know really slim, and you're not really gonna always do that, especially at the top club with the quality you had at the time. You know, even you know some of the other younger lads who you know, went on to have you know fantastic careers had to go elsewhere. And I think that was just you know what it was like at the club at the time. If you fast forward now, sort of. You know, to where they are at this moment in time, you know, the younger lads are getting a chance to like the Rashford, Lingard, McTominay, because they didn't have that, you know, team of world superstars. So, how did it come about that you joined Man United? And then what was it like when you first found out that you were getting your first professional contract? Yeah, so at the age of, uh, from the age of sort of eight, nine, uh, I was picked up by Wigan Athletic, but um, at the time there was only a centre of excellence. So with that, you could still play for sort of like your local sides and your, your sort of um, your, your interleague and you can tell town school boys if you like. So at that moment in time, I was playing for three or four teams um, as well as Wigan. Um, and then I, I scored uh, two goals in a final for uh, Pilkington's, which is where I started my career. Um, and we, we beat Whiston Juniors in a final at um, the Town Ground. And I think the scout was there, uh, Walter Joyce, Warren Joyce's dad, if anyone knows him. Um, and he, he, he rang 
my dad after the game and just said, I've been watching the game today and we think he's uh, you know, really talented and we want him to come down for a two-week trial. Um, but it was a big decision really at that moment because Wigan had just offered me a new two-year deal. Um, but obviously if I wanted to go to Man United, um, that was sort of off the, off the table. So it was difficult because I, I did obviously want to go and you can't really turn down a Obviously, go to Man United, but I thought in the back of my head, I don't quite you know, get through that and I'm left with nothing. It could have been you know, a difficult situation for me, but thankfully, I, I took the trial and um, he said, We'll have a look at you for two weeks. And after two sessions, um, he offered me a two year contract straight away. So he must have obviously thought enough of me in them couple of sessions to say, Yeah, we think we can you know, work with this lad and we can you know, be able I know your Man United career didn't work out quite as how you wanted it to, um, but it still must have been up, up there with your greatest achievement when you made your first appearance for United. What was that like uh, playing for them? Yeah, oh, it was unbelievable. As I say, you know, as a kid, you, you, you just dream of uh, you know getting that opportunity to, to play in the first team at some point, and a lot of lads who you know was as good as, or if not better than me, didn't get a chance to. Now, that's, you know, one reason or another. But uh, I always believe that, you know, if I worked with my hardest and obviously after, after that big step back that I had, I really, you know, put the hours in um, to try and get myself back to a level that I knew I was um, playing at previously. So for me, it was just a relief mainly that I had, you know, all my hard work paid off and that the manager had, had recognised that I'd been doing really well in the reserves. Um, he was looking like to give me that opportunity and obviously to play alongside uh, Alan Smith and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer um, in the first game was unbelievable. And you know I'll never forget obviously that that day the build up to it. You know walking in the changing room, seeing your name on the um, the kit on the peg, and obviously getting a team talk after Alex and feeling the atmosphere outside of you, you know, you get ready to go out and it's just amazing. Um, something you've obviously, you know, geared yourself the whole career to, to, to go out and do that and it was amazing. Um, and obviously to win the game as well was, was fantastic. Um, just wish I'd obviously got a bit more opportunity to play, but when you look at the squad and the, the team they had at that time, the strength in depth, um, the, the first team was just, ridiculous so again lucky to have maybe you know got that opportunity to play the game which you know I'm thankful for but on, on the other hand sometimes you think oh if it had been a, a different time or a different period you might have you know got more opportunities and you know something that might have, else might have happened but no regret. So you mentioned in there where you, you mentioned about a setback do you, do you talk about what, what happened? So you hadn't, uh, I know it was reported you had an accident. Um, what, what, what actually happened and what did you do? Yeah, so um, basically we, we played in the Youth Cup um, the night before. Um, so we played Man City in the Youth Cup at Old Trafford and won 2-1. Um, the day after, we were just asked to go in to do a cool down. Um, I was only sort of 17 at the time and didn't have a car and we wasn't really meant to, to travel in um, on cars. We used to get picked up on a minibus um, and took back to our digs. But 
because obviously this day was slightly different and we'd, we'd only been going in for a cool bar. Um, one of the older lads who I stayed with, uh, he drove and um, a couple of lads needed to catch up on a bit of school and education stuff that they hadn't done and I was sort of all upset and just sort of said, oh, I'm going to be waiting around here. So obviously, you know, all these lads have got to do this work with you know, hanging on and I said, one of the lads is going home, can I get a lift with him? Sort of just saved me sort of hanging around type thing, and we just sort of agreed it for that day. And um, obviously, it, it had been um, well documented that Jimmy Davis had, had passed away um, a couple of months prior to that. Um, obviously, driving on on the, the motorway in a, in a in a car on the way home from a watch game. Um, so obviously, he was on top of all that, and he wanted to make sure that he limited the, the sort of car sharing and. You just drove your own car type thing because we knew you know something may happen and then unfortunately that day it did and um i was just traveling back to um sale uh, which is only you know five ten minutes away from carrington uh, with one of the lads in the car and he yeah <clears throat> one of the other lads uh had overtook him on carrington lane i don't know if you know anything about carrington but it's quite a long road uh, quite a wide road um and he overtook him in, in his sports car and he was just sort of like speeding up, slowing down, just messing about as you do when you're, you're a kid and you're on loads of money and you've got you know, a flash card. But as you go around Carrington, the, the, the sort of road was a little bit snaky as you go past his old training ground. And um, yeah, he, he, he just sort of uh, tried to go around the corner, uh, you know, a, 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 considerable speed and the back end of the car just lifted up and I just remember the car spinning out. That was the last thing I remember, I just blacked out. The next thing I knew I was getting cut out of the car um, and getting airlifted to Widdenshaw Hospital. So obviously, you know, don't really remember much after after that and, you know, a couple of days after I come round a little bit and <clears throat> realised the enormity of what had happened and obviously I had to have um, you know, a couple of operations, and you know, I had a few really bad injuries, but thankfully, because of the treatments, obviously at the club, and obviously the way he was with me, I, I managed to, you know, work my way back and get back playing sort of 12 months later, which obviously wasn't ideal, but you know, it could have been a lot worse. If you if you have a look on um, the internet and search it up, uh, if you see the car, you you be Shocked and surprised that you know I, I actually even came out alive and um, it was that bad. Uh, so again, unlucky in the respect you know that I was out for a year and it's a big setback. But um, same token, I was obviously lucky to, to still be alive. So it comes to um, the end of your United career. How? how I I always speak to people about when they're at professional clubs. How do they how do they do it? How do they say, listen, you, we're not going to give you a new contract or, or whatever? Did they come in and sit you down uh, and make it easy for you to transition from leaving Man United and going somewhere else? Yeah, I mean, mine was a little bit of a weird one to be honest. The club actually wanted me to to stay but um, I think I was getting to the point um, where I'd actually been in the reserve team for three years and I had a stem. so yeah so it, it was the 
sit down chat I had with uh, Sir Alex really that uh, swayed it for me. He, he sort of just said to me that, you know, we do want to keep you and, um, you know, you've been in the reserve team now for the best part of three years. You've won three reserve leagues. You know, you, you're finding that quite comfortable and um, you think now that, you know, you're ready to test yourself and, you know, get, get your career properly up and running. He just obviously told me that you know the first team opportunities were going to be limited at that time, which was understandable with the, the quality they had inside and um, obviously the, the strength and depth, even with the, the likes of other lads who were at my age who were trying to get in that first team, like Giuseppe Rossi, Jesse Campbell, um, Sylvain Ebanksworth, just to name a few. Um, so he just sort of said, I think I think you need to just go and find a club now and test yourself and um, play some games that mean something. Like obviously when you're playing in the reserves, obviously you want to win. But if you lose, it's, it's not the end of the world. You're not playing for three points that's going to you know, win you a league title or whatever. Um, that, that actually means something. So you just sort of said, that's that's what we're, we're thinking is, is the best and the next step that you need to make. And obviously after having a chat with him and obviously a few of the other coaches, Brian McClure and whatever, that's that's the decision that I ended up taking, and obviously, you know, went to ended up signing for Blackpool, which again, due to injuries and you know, few other little um, stumbling blocks that I experienced while I was there didn't quite work out. Um, but that was that was the, the the best option I think I had at the time. Um, just obviously didn't work out as well as I wanted it to. Well, you, you, you said you went on to Blackpool and it didn't work out there. Um, and then that's when you took the, the step into non-league. You, you mentioned Northwich, um, Hyde, uh, and then Lee Genesis. Um, I, I know it was a difference from going from Man United to Blackpool, but what was the plunge taking from going from the Championship with Blackpool and taking your first steps into non-league. Yeah, well, to be honest, there was a, I went to Derry in between that. Um, we were in League Two, and I, I like I remember Chris Wilder and Alan Mill were in charge at the time. And when I went in pre-season, he said, "Obviously, we're going to have a look at you. We've got six games in pre-season. You're going to play all six games, and we'll see how you do." And I played all six games, and we played Leeds United, Huddersfield, Stockport County. These were all obviously, you know, League One uh, Championship, whatever at the time. Um, I think we played Radcliffe for a couple of others, um, and I scored five goals in the six games. So as a sort of trials go, in the back of your head, you're thinking, you know, I can't really do much more than that. Um, so I scored five and six, and you know, my performances were decent. Uh, and then it just uh, came to the sort of uh, there was quite a few lads I remember there was, there was a few lads who were sort of on trial or you know trying to get a contract or anything at that moment in time and um, it just came back to me and was like because at the time as well I, because I'd done so well at Berry, I had a few other clubs that were sniffing and, and I didn't want to sort of like burn my bridges for Berry because I'd done so well I was asked thinking you know I, I can't not get a contract after doing that uh, Bradford City were interested and Stuart McCall at the time had rung the agent a few times and I just said to him, I said, I know it's a big club and, I, and it's, a, it's a great opportunity but you know, I scored five and six I can't like you know, 
sort of just, just ignore the fact that, you know, he could give me a contract there. And so in the end, I ended up just leaving it. And then uh, he called me in the office and basically just said, that, listen, the chairman said that we're, we're already over budget and uh, there's, there's two lads we need to sign in, in more sort of um, areas that we feel need more strengthening. Um, so they, they ended up signing uh, a defender and field player. And I sort of got told that there was nothing there for me because there was no money. Um, but it was hard for me to take, obviously, with you know, the disappointments after leaving United and going to Blackpool and breaking the Mets Arsenal and being out for six months and then obviously go there and feel like you know, I'm going to try and prove myself and kick on and get a chance at League Two and just try and sort of reignite my career uh, and then obviously get told, you know, there's nothing there for me. So I, at that moment in time, I, I sort of just, you know, my, my head had gone and sort of fell out of love with football, if you like, for, for that moment in time because I just thought, how many setbacks can I have? How many things can go wrong? And it just seemed like there was, you know, it was never going to happen for me type of thing. And uh, I just took a bit of a, a break then. Uh, I think I took about two or three months out of the game. And then just got a phone call at random off um, one of my mates. She was at uh, Northwich. Uh, she was with the United Gods who had played with Northwich now in Burns and Jamie Mullen. Um, she just sort of said, why don't you come down here and just get yourself back playing and enjoy it and that kind of thing. So that's obviously why and I, I sort of ended up at Northwich. Um, and then just the sort of non-league journey begun then, if you like. You mentioned about um, sort of losing your head and falling out with football. Um, before we move on to uh, the rest of your non-league career, a big thing in football now is mental health. Um, and there'd be so much care and stuff for people that sort of get released or are struggling now in football compared to back, back then when you were struggling with coming to terms of not yeah. not making it a berry and stuff like that. Was there anything at all that, that was ever offered to you or something like that? No, no, there was nothing. Um, and I think that's obviously, you know, a big factor in, you know, the way people do struggle with mental health and obviously it's more you know, prominent now and people do speak about it a lot more. But obviously back then, you were just sort of like left to your own devices. Um, and I struggled with that a little bit. Um, because obviously it was like a domino effect for me, obviously from leaving United, being on top of the world, playing with, you know, like Ronaldo, Rooney, and, you know, training every day, getting all the best food, going abroad, and just sort of living the, the ideal lifestyle. And so then obviously having, you know, setback after setback after setback after, you know, disappointment after disappointment. And it just seemed as though, you know, you've gone from the very top to sort of rock bottom in the space of like two years and um, I think it's obviously, you know, that is the harsh reality of football, sort of you can be at the top of, you know, in one minute and then in the next breath, you know, you're sort of struggling to even get a club. Um, but luckily, obviously, I had a, a good, good family around me and, you know, I had some good friends that sort of uh, helped me through that sticky period and obviously eventually, you know, once I got back playing um, and enjoying my football and 
that was the main thing, really, just getting back playing regular football. Because obviously at Blackpool, I was injured for the vast majority of the time I was there. Uh, obviously, things didn't work out at various, so I'd missed out on a lot of football. Uh, and that was the whole point I'd left Man United, really, to go and play. And didn't sort of work out for, for that two year period. And then, you know, when I dropped into the non league, I knew then that you know, I was good enough to, to play at that level. Um, it was just about getting a run in a, in a team and just being able to prove, you know, what I could do. And uh, that thankfully happened sort of more so. Obviously, when I, when I signed at Staley Bridge, um, obviously, we'll come on to that probably in a bit. Yeah, so we'll move on to now your non league football. Um, and before we get to Staley Bridge, um, Staley Bridge fans probably first got their first taste of Phil Marsh when uh, you played for FC United and yeah. we met in the FA Cup. Um, and I think you scored two goals and, and dumped us out of the cup. What was it like to go from playing for United to then go into this United revolution sort of? And it was yeah. such a big following as well. Um, it must have been yeah. quite good to go and play for them as well. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was weird really. I remember the first time I went in there and they sort of said, you know, that you're the first ever player to play for Man United's first team and FC United's first team. And I was like, Oh, that's good. I mean, I really, I didn't think anything of that really, but they made out like that was sort of, you know, like a massive, uh, massive deal. But no, as I say, it was, uh, it was good because I knew obviously, you know, I was going to be playing regular football and, you know, at a decent ground. Obviously, Gig Lane, I played Berry and, you know, I'd seen what it was about. Massive fans, as you said then. Um, and it was good. I mean, we had a good side and I just sort of, it was, I was lucky in a way because I obviously Carl Martinson, the manager at the time, he, he trusted me and put me straight in the side and obviously, you know, the team was a decent side anyway, with the likes of, you know, Jerome Rice and Carl Rocker. Um he had some really good attacking players, so I obviously fitted in really well with that and just sort of um hit the ground running straight away. I think I scored on my debut and then um, you know, never looked back type of thing. I've, I've just enjoyed obviously playing like regular and not that you get in a comfort zone where you know you're going to be playing every game but because obviously I was enjoying my football again and obviously you know I, I knew I was you know more than capable of playing at that level and it just seemed to all sort of click and I started enjoying my football again and playing with a smile on my face and um, yeah obviously the FA Cup game against Staley Bridge you were in the, the league above at the time was uh Sort of a, a good way to sort of um, get the fans on side uh, for myself. So well, we move on from FC United and and you finally joined Staley Bridge, um, and it's fair, I think it's fair to say that there was highs and lows at Staley Bridge as well. Um, I mean, I, I spoke to Dave Pulver um, before doing this, and he describes you as the best finisher he's ever seen in non-league football, and I mean. That that from someone that's been around in, in non-league football for probably thirty years or more, um, that's it's quite a statement, really. When we when we're talking about um, strikers and when you when you mention strikers at Staley Bridge, your name will pop up. You you, you sign for Staley Bridge, and for example, what what was that like? So you were brought in, uh, and 
into the League of Pro Progress United and and this is where you probably had your longest spell. Am I right in saying that in, in like yeah. a few years at a time? What was it yeah. like to first join Sailorbridge? Yeah, I, I remember it well. I, I remember staring up to Denson um, training ground and just obviously, you know, seeing the lads for the first time and obviously meeting Jim and uh, I knew straight away that this was somewhere that I, I really wanted to, to sign and to, to play any football. Obviously, you know, the, the big thing that, that sort of um, drew me to, to the club as well was that it was full-time. And um, I think, obviously, when you, you're playing on league football, you, you know, you're only training once or twice a week and, you know, you're working and all that kind of thing. It's very hard to sort of get that fitness level and that sharpness, you know, where it needs to be in. Obviously, with Staley Bridge being full-time um, and having a, a young squad and, you know, a very good squad and a talented bunch of players, I, I think that was a big draw for me. And um, Obviously, Jim was a fantastic coach. Um, the training sessions were always you know, top class. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I couldn't wait to get started. And obviously, you know, I think you know, there, was, there was more highs than lows for me. Uh, personally, it's daily, but he got me back playing to the level that I knew um, I was capable of playing. I was enjoying my football. I was scoring goals you know, week in, week out. Uh, the team was winning more weeks than not. Um, as I said, the lads were all fantastic players, but good lads as well. It was a good bunch. There was no you know, bad eggs or anything like that. And I think it just seemed to, you know, everything sort of seemed... So it was really positive, and you know that I, I sort of loved my, my two years at the at the club. And obviously, you know there was some laws at the point with um, myself and Jim. We didn't always see eye to eye, but at the end of the day, we always had that respect for each other. Um, and I always, you know, worked my socks off and tried my best for for the club every time I put the shirt on. So. No regrets again with that. It's just obviously football sometimes things don't always, you know, go to plan. So we'll we'll we'll, we'll stay on the highs for now. Um, there was um, all sorts that we, that we can talk about you, you in your time at Celebridge overall, including when you came back on loan. You had 99 appearances. You scored 51 goals. That's that's more than one in two. Um, and, for example, we'll mention where you scored four at Workington. Um, you, you had three players a month in, in four months. Um, and I think adding on to that, in your two seasons, uh, you, were also, you also won the Golden Boot in both seasons as well. Um, it must have been such an enjoyable time, especially for a team that was a lot of the time up there as well. Um, when you was at Stalybridge, yeah. just talk to me about um, some of the memories that you have from when when you were there. Yeah, it was fantastic. I mean, I just used to love playing. It was it was sort of busy training all week as well with the group, and you know you're full time and um, you get to know the lads um, a lot more than you would obviously if you was just part time and stuff. And um, you know we we just used to sort of. Um, gel all the time. Like we we go and do stuff outside of 
football like you come to play golf or you know to do other little things that we do and I think that's sort of shown on a match day that you know it was a, it was a proper team we was together everyone sort of enjoyed each other's company and um, that that showed off obviously with the results we was getting sort of um, each week is you know I, I have so many fond memories of Bailey Bridge and you know the coach journeys and you know the group of lads and obviously we we, we were successful um, maybe a little bit under underachieved in terms of we never got a promotion to that team which you know I think that's probably the only regret really because you know other than that I think it was you know fantastic for that that two year period especially um, but no it was fantastic it, I mean the four goals at Workington, I always remember that just because um, the type of fella Jim uh, was as manager. Um, obviously, I'd scored, we won 5 0, I scored four. And the first thing he said to me when he came in was like, FNL match, what, what happened when you missed that one? Uh, something like that. Um, and obviously, I must have you know, had a, another chance in the game that I hadn't you know, put away or done whatever. And, He's better saying, like, well done, you scored four. You, you, you sort of picked me up on the one thing that I didn't do right. So, and all the lads sort of like was looking at me as if to say, like, but that was that was what I liked about Jim. He always sort of kept you on your toes and um, he was he was um, he was good at always trying to get the best out of me because he would never sort of, you know, even if you if I'd have scored 10, he wouldn't have, you know, give me like that much praise, he'd have always said, you know, something that I can work on or something, you know, that you can do better, which is, you know, good management in my book. And, and I think, you know, he, he did that well and always got the best out of me in that way. Um, but no, I think personally, obviously, I, I did sort of play some of the best football at Staley Bridge. Um, the way he had me playing sort of, sort of just suited my game down to the T. Like myself and Connor Jennings up front sort of had that understanding and obviously Connor's a fantastic player he's, you know, he's still doing it today and uh, we just sort of struck up that partnership and relationship where you know we both sort of knew each other's games and our strengths and it sort of um, it was just natural we didn't even sort of you know work on that much in training we just sort of knew each other's game inside out and you know we, we, we scored Hatfuls of goals every season that we played together, so it's really enjoyable. Um, I'd be asked to ask you as well when we, when we talk about the two golden boots that you got, which one did, is there a preference of which one was better than the other one um, from, the, from them two seasons? Um, I think. To be honest, there was I can't remember which season it was, but I think it was the first season. Um, I think before Christmas, I'd, I'd scored nearly like sixteen goals or something like that. Um, I remember we played none in away. I think the first game of the season, I think I scored two or three, and we'd, we'd won in the last minute uh, penalty. I think it was. I remember Connor got a penalty last minute, and I think it was two 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 or one one. And we ended up. Winning in the last minute. Um, sorry, uh, we, yeah, we, we got a penalty late on in the game, and um, I ended up stick, sticking it away, and we, we won. And obviously after that, it was obviously a tough place to go, um, especially the first game of the season. 
Um, and then I just sort of went on a little bit of a purple patch. And I think before like the first eight games, I'd scored nearly like double figures. And um, just seeing everything, everything I seemed to touch sort of thing was just going in. And obviously, you get them times as a striker, so you want to try and make the most of them. Um, obviously, you know, you, you go through other dry patches, but no, I, I wouldn't say any was better than the other because the, the full two seasons I was there really was, you know, on the whole, more more enjoyable than not. So, so carrying on, um, you had your two years, um, and there's also the, 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 the couple of stories that I wanted to mention. There was one where you talk about Jim being a great coach, um, but he, he always kept you on your toes. There was a game at Stockport County where I think it might have been an FA Cup game where you were subbed on and then uh, I think you were subbed off for Mitch Austin. Um, yeah. And then... Um, I'll let you tell it, but I think... Uh, it didn't go. It, it, it didn't go how to how you thought it would. Um, that game, and then you went into the changing room. Yeah. Afterwards. What? Why? Why did that happen? Yeah. Um, so so basically, I think you know a lot of the, the fans and stuff don't probably know the full the full story behind this. So I'll, I'll obviously set the record straight from my point of view. Um, at that time, obviously, I, I've been, you know, scoring loads of goals and um, I've been doing really well. I think there's been a bit of interest from, you know, other clubs and you know, clubs higher, maybe in the football league, which um, I hadn't been notified about. Um, I got a phone call off Sid White, obviously, you know, Sid was the chairman um, at the time, and he'd, he'd obviously told himself and my dad that there's been a few offers from. Um, other clubs. Now, previously to this, uh, Connor Jennings had left and signed for Scunthorpe, um, and Jim's son, uh, I think, who was an agent at the time, had sort of sorted the deal and uh, whatever. Um, and then Jim, I think, wanted the same sort of scenario to play out, if you like, um, with himself. Uh, so he, he was sort of asking me. Um, you know, sign with my son, and he'll get you a he'll get you a move. Um, but I already had an agent, and I, I told him this. And um, I just think sort of for one reason or another, because I didn't want to sort of go down the route of signing with his son. Um, he took that as sort of a bit of a personal sort of um, attack on him, which it wasn't. And I did tell him that, and I, I did sort of say to him, listen, you know. If, if a team's going to come in for me, then I'll, I'll be able to sort it out. And, you know, obviously, if the club are happy with it and I'm happy with it, then we can come to an agreement. And um, I just think because, obviously, I didn't, you know, do that one particular thing, he sort of then started to be a little bit awkward with me. Um, and then, obviously, the Stockport game, that was the first game that I had started in, you know, months and months and months and it was obviously a massive game it was like a derby game in the cup he hadn't told me prior to the game that I wasn't going to be starting um, there was no sort of you know lead up to it to say you know you're not going to be in the, in the starting 11 or 
know, any any sort of indicator. So when he just led the team out and I was on the bench, sort of, I mean, it wasn't just me that was surprised. I mean, all the lads were like looking at looking Mars, saying like, Mars has been our best player for nearly two years, and we just dropped him in one of the biggest games. Like, what's going on? So I was obviously upset and a bit, you know, disappointed because I was really looking forward to that game, and obviously Stockport's always a massive game, and the crowds are you know, fantastic, and it's a, it's a big pitch that suits suits my game. So I was just annoyed, really. Um, but I, I took it on the chin and, you know, I was professional. I didn't, you know, say, say anything to him at that moment in time and just sort of, sort of, you know, did what I could, obviously, and um, just had to sort of keep everything under wraps, even though I was feeling, you know, really disappointed and let down. Um, but then, obviously, to see how things played out and obviously he, he called me to come on, I think it was the last 15 minutes or something. Um, I remember going on and I think in my first touch I ended up having a shot or I ended up scoring I think and they give offside or something I remember remember doing something and I thought like cause I, was, I was eager to try and prove a point um, and just to try and obviously you know make an impact on the game just to say like you know you shouldn't sort of drop me because obviously I'd been one of the best players um, but then yeah obviously not, not long after that the board went up and I looked across and it was my number and obviously as you say Mick Justin was coming on and I just thought that was a total sort of you know lack of respect for me's part in terms of just you know subbing me on and subbing me off in front of thousands of people Um, so yeah just went straight into the changing rooms after and obviously wasn't happy and Sort of as he came in, I, I was giving him a piece of my mind, just sort of told him that you know he was out of order and that you know, he just literally embarrassed me in front of you know thousands of people. Um, and it did get a little bit heated, not gonna lie. Um, but after that, you know, just left it, didn't say anything, and and just sort of um, apologised and, and said you know I was out of order for saying what I said, but. You know, at the same token, I think he could have spoke to me and told me why I wasn't playing. Um, so I think, you know, we were both sort of in our own way a little bit wrong. But I just feel as though if he'd have spoke to me and, you know, told me before the game, like, I think, you know, in any any, any job, you, you, um, you should treat everyone with uh, the same amount of respect that you'd expect to be treated with yourself. So... Um, I just felt as though he'd done that and, and sort of uh, done it in a in a sort of sly way to try and say, you know, I'm the boss and, you know, whatever I say goes. But, you know, I don't, you know, hold any grudges against Jim and um, I think, you know, Jim's a fantastic manager um, and he, he did bring the best out of me for that two years. Obviously, it just didn't quite sort of um, end um, on, a, on a, a positive note, if you like. Um, and I think that was sort of the, the, the sort of start of the end, if you like, when that happened. Um, after that, I, I didn't really start many games. I was on the bench, I was coming on for 20 minutes. Um, and then I think at the end of the season, I ended up obviously leaving on a free, which, you know, was disappointing not only for, uh, for me, because I wanted the club to sort of uh, gain some financial uh, benefit. From, from myself, uh, to knew how many clubs were interested in me, 
Um, but unfortunately, it didn't, didn't pan out that way. Uh, I ended up leaving on a free and went to the Forest Green at the end of that season. So the way the way it did end was um, you just end up leaving on a free transfer. There was there yeah. was a, like there was things about you being prized away from Staley Bridge or um, that Jim Thatcher basically. Uh, yeah. Is that true? No, no. I, I never got sacked. Um, I was I was getting paid up until my contract finished, and obviously I was in more sort of conversations with Sid White at the time. Because um, Jim had obviously been being a little bit awkward and a little bit frosty with everything that had happened, so um, my contract just ended at the end of that season, and then uh, I had you know offers from a few other clubs, and just obviously decided that you know Forest Green was going to be my next uh, challenge, and. They offered, obviously offered me a really good contract, two-year deal, um, and that was in our Super League above. So I just sort of went there, and you know that was my next opportunity and my next challenge. Um, but it was funny actually because uh, a few seasons after that, uh, got a phone call off Jim when he was at Altrincham. Uh, <laughs> he ended up re-signing me at Altrincham, so wasn't expecting that one, but. Yeah, so you um, you signed for Forest Green on a two-year deal, and from from the time you you dropped down into non-league, at this point you're coming into the the best spell of your career, and you've you've, you've moved up from FC United to Stevenage and now to Forest Green. Um, but when you when you look back at the time at Forest Green, how come that didn't work out? I think it was. Um, articles about manager changes and stuff like that while you in your spells at Forest Green and going out on loan and stuff like that. Yeah, I think obviously, you know, in hindsight now looking back on um the time at Forest Green, um at that moment in time you obviously never know what's gonna happen. But the contract you offered me, um, you know, I, I, there was no one anywhere near what they offered me, um, financially and obviously you know, at that level. So it was it was a it was a good um, opportunity for me to, to go and play, but um, obviously what I didn't realise at the time was um, the club had signed, um, I think they had nine strikers um, at the time, and some of the strikers that was a, uh, were, they were now playing in League One, you know, higher and stuff, so, you know, the likes of James Norwood and Matty Taylor and uh, Magno Vieira at the time was there, uh, so, it, you know, the competition was, was hot and it was, it was difficult to sort of cement a, a starting, um, a regular starting sort of uh, place. But, again, it was something different. Obviously, the, the club um, a lot different to any anywhere I'd ever played before. The, the chairman, Dale Vince, is a, a vegan. Um, mad on all this eco-electricity and um, electric-powered cars and with machines that watered the pitch, um, you know, you couldn't eat any um, meat. Um, but it was different, and it, I, I enjoyed it. Um, I wouldn't I would say it was, uh, you know, everyone's cup of tea, but I, I sort of enjoyed being down there, and you know, it's a fantastic part of the country. Um, lived in Gloucestershire, um, but no, I just obviously couldn't really cement that place down in, in terms of in the position that I wanted to play as well. Um, we used to play 4-3-3 and 
he was always either playing me on the left hand side or the right hand side or even in the midfield at some point just to try and sort of like chew on players in and obviously after playing at Staley Bridge in a completely different role to that I was sort of like playing on the shoulder on the last man and just you know scoring goals that way it was sort of then having to try and adapt my game again and obviously you know playing on the on the wide it was, it was more of like a wing back rather than you know centre forward so just didn't really uh, suit my game if you like and didn't sort of pan out the way I wanted it to but uh, obviously you know I went on loan to Hereford um, which was you know I, I absolutely loved um, my time at Hereford fantastic club and um, I scored again on my debut for them uh, against Stockport County um, and that team we had there was full of you know players that have gone on and again had a good career um, and we had a fantastic FA Cup run actually um, that we got to the third round um, would have played Edison actually I think on the telly but Cheltenham scored in the last kick of the game in the replay um, but again no regrets in terms of you know going there and trying it and you know just obviously didn't pan out the way I wanted it to again um, but then went back up to uh, Geisley uh, Steve Kittrick signed me so just moved back up north and just obviously wanted to try and start enjoying my football again and playing regular. Yeah, so you went back, so you, went, so you went to Geyser, sorry, and then uh, you mentioned Steve Kittrick signed you and then Steve Kittrick got the sack in and then Mark Bauer came in yeah. and then that's the yeah. time when you came out on loan to Staley Bridge again. Um, how, how can you end up coming back on loan to Staley Bridge and I think when you came back, you played 14 games and scored five goals and come back. So again, the, the record is, is, is there for itself. It's just a shame you didn't play one more game because you ended up on 99. Oh, yeah. Would have had 100. Yeah, yeah Matt. Might have to try and come back at some point and play a testimony or something. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, so obviously guys were, yeah, again, you know, this seems like a reoccurring team, but yeah, went there and obviously Kittrick got the sack and obviously Bauer came in and just sort of said to me, you know, even though I'd, I'd just signed a two-year deal on, you know, decent money, obviously I'd come from Forest Green where I was on good money, um, he just sort of literally said, you're not going to be part of my plans. Um, just point blank said, yeah, yeah, you're not going to be, you know, playing. And um, obviously the chairman at the time, I remember, was like, not happy at all because obviously he was paying a lot of money um, for me to be there and you know to not even be playing at all was sort of um, an issue that he needed to sort out one way or another so as I obviously said to him listen so that I'm happy to you know stay here and you know train and try and get myself into the team or I said if, if it makes sense for you um, I can try and go somewhere else and I can see if the other club will pay half the wages and I'll, I'll sort of you know do it that way so um, in the end obviously I had two loan spells I went to Bailey Bridge and I went to Barrow as well um, which you know again enjoyed both them two clubs because I was playing every week and enjoying my football and obviously as you say I come back to Staley Bridge and scoring again um, went did the same at Barrow I think when I went to Barrow I think he was near the bottom of the league um, I think he was fifth bottom and uh, was really struggling and then um, when I signed him I think another lad uh, signed 
time as well. Um, and and struck up a good partnership with Nick Rushton and, and Gareth Arneson at top, and we just went on a mad run. Uh, I think it was 16 games unbeaten. Um, obviously a few draws and stuff in that as well, but went from sort of near the bottom to sort of you know just outside the playoffs, and it was just really good again because you know big crowd, big big pitch, and just obviously playing in in that you know central. Um, striking mall which, which I've been playing in at Staley Bridge and Sunny Strengths and just sort of found some form again and obviously enjoyed it because we were playing and winning and you know the manager Alex Meekin and um get the other fellow's name now but it, you know they would use Edmore Edmore that was it um, so it, again just, just wanted to be playing and just wanted to sort of enjoy the football and that's obviously what I did on them two lawn spells just to sort of you know get me back playing and with a smile on my face. So moving on from the guys being your loan spells, you had a few spells at uh, all sorts of different clubs. Uh, you went into the, the Welsh League uh, and played for teams like Balor. And then you mentioned before that Jim Harvey signed you back at Ulster. Um, yeah. And that, that was a complete surprise to you. Yeah, it was, yeah. I mean, I knew he was struggling because I still had a few contacts with like Greg Wilkinson and Andy McWilliams who were, were also young at the time and um, a lot of lads who I knew, obviously, previously, like you know, uh, John Densmore and uh, Beasley and Cy Richmond and all that, they were all there. And, um, I just got a phone call one day. It was Greg, actually, or Andy. It was Greg or Andy who texted me just saying, like, where are you playing, what are you doing? Uh, what's happening like type of thing and I just sort of had a conversation with them and then the next thing I knew I was getting a phone call off Jim Hardy and he was sort of saying listen I'm really struggling and um, Altingham we're, we're in the sort of bottom four um, I need someone to just come and sort of score some goals and try and get us out of trouble um, what do you think so it was it was a bit of a surprise like I was a bit took back at the start because obviously you know, things haven't worked out at Staley Bridge towards the end and, you know, we'd, we'd sort of not seen eye to eye and everything, but um, I just thought, you know, he's, he's been big enough to, you know, ring me and, you know, try and give me an opportunity to come in and obviously when I did come in, uh, I signed and, you know, spoke to him straight away and it was as if, you know, the thing at Staley Bridge had never happened, so um, that was obviously a good, good initial thing because we'd got that sort of... Uh, initial awkwardness that might have happened straight out of the way and yeah just just came in and obviously wanted to try and help him out and, and do what I could to try and help Altingham get out of the uh, mess he was in at that time but again for one reason or another didn't didn't quite pan out um, didn't quite sort of find my feet and hit the ground running it's what you want to do when you sign for a new club Um but no, no regrets again. It was just one of them things. I think obviously, you know, clubs always uh, go through them awkward moments and, and, and periods where they struggle for whatever reason. Because if you looked at the team that we had, um, it was amazing really how he was, you know, in the position it was. Because some of the lads we had there were you know, top top players and have obviously gone on to, to bigger and better things again. Um, but yeah. That's football. Sometimes you know things just don't go the way you you expect. 
And then we come to sort of where we are today. Um, you, after Altingham, you moved on. Uh, and then you mentioned the like, you mentioned the like, real. Uh, you went back, back, back into Wales. Uh, there was a story about you being released by Pets and going back to Man United. Um, yeah. And then we come to Pilkington, um, where, we, where you are today. Um, so tell us a bit about that. Because obviously, so you started your career at Pilkington, um, and then you, you're there now. You've been a player, and you've been a player manager, sort of, and then uh, now you're a player coach. You're a qualified coach as well now, aren't you? So um, yeah, yeah. tell me what it's like at Pilkington now for you at the moment. Yes. So obviously, starting my journey at Pilkington, um, that was obviously my local team growing up, and you know, it's on my doorstep. Um, but obviously, at this moment in time now, uh, the people that run the club are friends of mine anyway, who I've known for considerable amount of time. And obviously, you know, the ambition they've got is they want to obviously, you know, get Pilkington as high as they can. Chairman uh, has spent a lot of money on. Um, not only the squad but the facilities. Um, looking drive now, they've got a brand new 4G. They've just spent you know x amount of millions on a new state of the art gym. Um, so the, the sort of long term plans are you know really exciting and something that obviously I want to be a part of. Um, I think I've probably still got another couple of years left playing in me yet. Um, so that that's my main priority at this moment in time. I want to still try and obviously play, but as you just touched on there, I have done my coaching badges and obviously I have been, you know, um, I sort of stepped in last year, um, sorry, the year before when um, there was an issue with the other manager who got suspended, so I, I was sort of player manager for that period um, and I'm, I do a lot of the coaching sessions as well. Um, so that's just sort of my next sort of uh, just giving me that little bit of a, a taste of, sort of managing and, and, and coaching for when I finish because obviously that would be my next step. I think obviously once I finish playing, that would be something I'd be, you know, you know getting involved in and, and looking to, you know, get myself back on the, uh, the football scene in that way. So, yeah, I think things obviously at Pilkington's are, are looking promising and with the investment that they've had um, on the facilities and the, the side, uh, you need the chairman's looking for obviously promotion uh, would have been this year but I think the league obviously due to COVID is going to get um, postponed again so obviously if we start again next season the aim obviously to get promoted and then you know keep building on that and obviously just see where it takes them but obviously with, with the uh, ambition that he's got and obviously you know he wants me to be a part of that and that I've got as well that's something that I'm looking forward to in the future. Uh, that's, that's pretty much everything about your career. We've just got a few more questions that we'd like to speak to you about. So you mentioned yeah. about uh, at the end of your playing career, you want to get back on, in, onto the football scene. Would it be as a coach or would, would, you, would you prefer a step into management? Um, I think sort of um, First off, I'd, I'd probably want to do the coaching side of things just to give myself a little bit more experience and, and then maybe, you know, at some point maybe take on an assistant role or just sort of, you know, 
give yourself a little bit of time to sort of um, see how everything goes and obviously events where yeah, I would love to get into management um, but I just feel I, I don't want to jump into it too early um, and just you know end up sort of taking a, a job too early and not really having that sort of experience and the background and you know the knowledge what you need um, I'm not naive enough to think that I could just because I've played football all my life and that I've been at you know all these clubs that I'm, I'm good enough to just um, step into a managerial job as soon as I finish and you know things start you know happening um, I want to do it the right way I want to you know um, sort of learn my trade and, and find a, a club that I can you know enjoy and work with a good bunch of players um, and just see where it takes me. Obviously, the managerial side of things would be something I'd, I'd be interested in doing eventually, but I think that's only when the time's right. And then, so a few like more like light-hearted questions, touching on Staley Bridge and the time there. Um, I'll just ask you a few questions about... Um, sort of your teammates and stuff while you're there. You mentioned Connor Jennings before. I mean, Connor's gone to have a very good career, um, scoring in playoff finals and playing in the league, and now he's at Stockport again. Um, so would you say he's the best player you played with at Stanley Bridge, or is there anybody else? Um, it's a tough question, that, you know, because obviously I could go through the full the full team that we had at Staley Bridge and every single player was probably you know in the top two or three in that position in the league at that moment in time for me. Um, a lot of lads that you know used to do a lot of you know the running and the tackling like Jack Ray, um, obviously it was Greg Wilkinson, you know, fantastic player. Um, but yeah, Connor obviously you know on a personal level with me. We, we stuck off that partnership and, you know, we had that understanding and we just seemed to, you know, know each other's game inside out. Obviously, he's gone on to, to do it um, at Tranmere and, you know, he's, he's obviously back at Stockport now and still doing really well. So, yeah, I mean, Connor obviously probably done the best out of the, the, the bunch, but there was other lads as well who, you know, at that time were top, top quality players and, you know, deserve a mention but I could, I could name the full team to be honest um, but yeah if, if I had to pick one I'd, I'd say Connor just because obviously you know he was my straight partner and straight of union and all that Who was the funniest player you played with while you was at Bridge? Um, to be fair there was a few actually um, Brogues was quite funny Stephen Brogan he came in uh, I remember him coming in first session. He came in. He was, he was on loan uh, from uh, from Rotherham. Uh, and the first training session, he uh, we got a free kick on the edge of the box. Just this was only in training, so it wasn't like it was a, a match day. And obviously, I used to set the free kicks, and uh, he just sort of said, "Nah, move out the way, type of thing." And I was like, "Like, I, I kept free." He's like, "Nah," I said, "Trust me." I'm on this one. So I was like, didn't, didn't want to make too much of a big deal of it type of thing. So I just was like, all right, fair enough, you have it. And then uh, anyway, he whipped it 
top corner for like unbelievable finish. And um, he just like he ran off like proper Denton, obviously. It's quite big and he like top off, ran off, like celebrating and everything. Oh, lads were just like, Who's this guy? Like laughing their heads off. But obviously that sort of was a bit of an icebreaker for him. And then he was quite funny. He had he had some good crack and obviously with his uh, Yorkshire accent. Uh, him and Reese Mail uh, were always like winding winding people up. Um, but no, there's a few, there's a few funny, funny guys. Um, but yeah, I'd probably say Brogues because uh, he, he came to Forest Green as well with me. Um, after that, and he again, he was uh, a bit of a joker there as well. So. What would you say like the worst dressed player? Um when you used to turn up for like training and stuff like that? There's a few actually, there's a few bad dress. Uh, I think Jan used to get a bit of stick, Jan Buds the keeper. Um, obviously being you know, foreign lad, he used to have that you know, different sort of uh, taste in clothing. Um, Ash as well, but it was the keepers to be fair. Ash, there was a keeper Ash as well. He used to come in some proper dodgy gear. Um, yeah, some some like naughty clobber that you wouldn't. Uh, you you think he was turning up on like you know like a, a night out and you had to wear like a shit shirt or something. That's that's what he used to wear regular for like coming in for training. Um, yeah, I think it was the, the, the goal keepers really but again goalkeeper you, you have to be a little bit sort of uh, mad to play that position anyway I, most keepers I've played with over, over the career have always been a little bit you know would you have any story funny stories from when you were when you were there at Sailor Bridge um, like the Brogan for example do you have any others that pop out uh, on the time there um, I probably do you know Put me on the spot. There's probably loads because um, we used to have a good laugh. Um, I think the funniest one I ever heard was, and the lads might sort of uh, have a pop at me for saying this, but we used to have uh, four lads that used to travel in with Jim because uh, they was all from sort of Liverpool way. So there was Glenn Rule, there was Lloyd Ellen, there was Jack Ray, and Christian Platt. And um, they told us on, on uh, this one day that Jim, on the way home, used to have them all sort of like doing like little errands for him on the way home. And plus we had to pay him petrol money. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, we used to stop off at the petrol station and he'd make us fill, fill his car up and go and buy him some cigars. And I was like, you what? He's like, yeah. So basically we used to set the myth out of them for like calling him Jim Black Dogs, just doing all these little jobs uh, but you know it was one of them obviously because he was the manager and obviously we travelled in with him he couldn't really um, sort of make it common knowledge if you like but once obviously we, we got wind of that it was like all the lads knew about it and just sort of like saying little sly comments and stuff and I think obviously Jim never got onto it um, obviously we all knew what was going on but the lads were always sort of like on eggshells when we was about to just throw in little one-liners in. But, uh, but no, funny, funny times. If you have to pick a five-a-side team, um, 
from any player you played with at Taylor Bridge, what five sides team would you pick? You can put yourself in there and you don't have to have a goalkeeper. Right. Um, probably have to say um, So, you know, I'd, pro- I'd probably I'd go probably 2 1 2. Uh, I'd probably play no goalkeeper. So, Jan unfortunately just misses out, even though Jan was a top keeper. But I think we'd have that much possession that we, we probably wouldn't need a keeper. Um, I'd go Joel Benbelita the back just because he was absolutely rapid, stronger than Ox. Um, you know, not not the best technically, but he could run all day. And Joel was one of them that you know not many people ever got the better of him in terms of you know trying to run him or you know whatever. So I'd have Joel in there at the back um, with probably Andy McWilliams. Andy again, another you know flying fullback, um, up and down, technically very good. Um, so I'd have him there. So them two obviously pace and power um, at the back and then I'd have um, again the midfield I'd, I'd probably go for Jack Ray just because he would be the rat who would just win all the balls give it nice and simple Jack was sort of one of them players that went sort of under the radar a little bit for me it's, it's fairly bridges especially he, he sort of was the catalyst to a lot of um, our goal by winning the ball back high or you know breaking the play up and just playing a nice simple pass to the likes of Greg Wilkinson or myself or Connor and starting off the packs. Um so yeah Jack Jack would be in it and then I think we'd just go for all out goals up front with myself and Connor. Um and just obviously you know you score three wheels score four type of mentality. Um but yeah, that that'd be my team. There's a few obviously other lads who I could, could maybe name. Like obviously Greg Wilkinson, probably a little bit unlucky not to be in there. He was a top player. Lloyd Ellens was for me, you know, technically at that time, you know, I've never seen anyone with as good, you know, skill and close control. Um uh Hobbo as well, another lad who I'm really good mates with and you know, physically and a different kind of striker to myself and Connor, but you know really strong good with his back to goal can score a goal as well and uh, and yeah but again good for the names for the full team really um, loads of players in that team that you know made my job a lot easier uh, Reese Maynard was another one you know them balls he used to play from the back over the top you know dropping them on a sixpence for me um, so yeah could name the full squad really but I'd just go for them five I'm more of an attacking-minded player. And final one. Um, so it's a it's a bit of a strange link, but obviously Luke Sefton signed for Taylor Bridge just before lockdown, uh, and the link was that you played for Pilkington and for Taylor Bridge. There's not many players that have done that, uh, and you've you've had, you've had time with Luke. Tell tell us a bit of what Luke's like and. I mean, I've seen him in training and stuff like that, and um, friendly. But tell, uh, tell us what you think of Luke and 
and, and what we can expect to see from him. Yeah, obviously I've known Steph for quite a long time now and obviously been lucky enough to, to play with him for the last couple of seasons at Pilkington's and for me, he's, he's you know, got it all. He's got the physique, he's quick, he's strong, he's got a nice ball. Um, and, you know, for me, I, I always said to him that, you know, he was playing at a level that he was too comfortable in and he, he needed to, you know, make that step up. And obviously now going to Staley Bridge, I think that's a perfect fit for him. Um, obviously, you know, unfortunately for him, the, the season's been, you know, stalled and, um, you know, he's probably not had a, an ideal start in coming to the club and then obviously the season getting put on hold. But uh, for me, I think obviously once he gets you know up to the match speed and once he sort of gets used to the way um, things are at that level, I, I've got no um, plans that he'll be a success and you know that he'll do really well because uh, he's got all the attributes. Um, you know, I've seen him as I say over the last two seasons and he's you know his work rate's fantastic. He's great in the air. He's a big lad. He's strong and <clears throat> off the pitch as well. He's a really nice lad. Um, so he'll fit in well with the dressing room. Um, and obviously, I think his brother's there as well anyway, isn't he, Scott? So, Scott's another you know, top player who I've known throughout my career. And, um, yeah, so I, I think you'll, you'll see some good things from, from Luke um, in the not-so-distant future. Thanks for that. And that's everything. So uh, I just want to thank you for coming on the podcast. And hopefully it gives... Um, Celtic fans and something to, to watch for an hour while uh, we've got everything that's going on. Is there anything you uh, you want to say before we go? No, just just thanks for having me on. Um, obviously, it was great to sort of have a chat about um, Staley Bridge, especially which you know I, I thought was you know in the career probably you know excluding the time at United was probably the the, the peak and the highlight of the. Uh, my career just in terms of enjoying you know the goals the games return and um just, just playing you know regular football so just thanks to, to all the fans really who, who you know was there at that time and probably still there now and and they obviously made my time there memorable um, and just hope that they enjoyed um, my performances as much as I enjoyed being there and thanks special thanks to Dave Cover as well for that um that means a lot, actually, to, to say that. Um, you know, Dave's obviously been there for, you know, absolutely years and years, and he's obviously seen loads and loads of players, so for him to say that is, you know, a massive, uh, massive thing for me, so just pass on my regards to him if you, if you see him.